0: Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at Babbel.com slash BlueWire. That's 60% off at Babbel.com slash BlueWire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash BlueWire. Rules and restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to Dugout Study
1: Hall, a remedial course in baseball stats and a proud member of the Pitcherless Podcast Network. I'm Alexander Chase, this week without our host Matt Goodwin, who's on vacation. I'm joined instead by Lamar Gibson, host of Pitcherless on the Farm podcast, for a crossover event about the MLB draft, discussing the who, what, and how of it all. Lamar, how you doing?
2: I'm doing alright, how about yourself? know it's
1: uh it's going pretty well so far this weekend i have uh two um like slow pitch co-ed softball games that i was supposed to have this morning that have been rained out uh so got nothing but uh sitting around and doing absolutely nothing on the schedule which is just joyous it's a, uh,
2: it's a perfect day to podcast
1: <laughs> something like that for sure yeah uh I, I should have asked this before we got started um where, where is it you're based out of
2: uh so i'm in the southeast of the u.s i'm, I'm in the south
1: gotcha gotcha okay so you ac- actually have to worry about the summer being hot and stuff
2: you know? I, i'm used to it I'm a, I'm a mid-atlantic uh kid and i'm kind of in mm-hmm. that region still so it's not too um it's not too different than what i'm used to growing up so luckily
1: yeah who is your team then? I'm curious. Are you Atlanta or I'm
2: an Orioles fan. I grew up uh, okay. outside of Baltimore City. Uh, grew up in a little place called Randallstown, which is 15 minutes outside of the city, and uh, diehard Orioles fan through and through.
1: Yeah, I. It always strikes me as kind of odd. Dot um, saying not anything about the Orioles, which, by the way, uh, great place to be watching actually competitive baseball this time of yeah. year which is thing. <laughs> yeah. it's kind of nice um i kind of like jokingly uh, declared myself not an orioles fan at the beginning of this year on account of i'd been living in dc for a couple years mm. getting kind of annoyed with them i wanted to buy a one Soto jersey mm. i really wanted to buy a one so city connect jersey i did okay uh, but it strikes me as odd considering how many baseball fans there are in the south that Atlanta is kind of your only option for so much of the territory. Yes. you got all these double A AA and triple A teams. Yes. It makes a lot of sense for me that, that you, minor league baseball is yes. a thing that you'd be into considering how much of it seems like it's got to be accessible for you then.
2: Yeah. So, so there is a team that is close by where I live. Um, I, I wish actually I, I went out and saw more um, minor league baseball, because like you said, there, mm. there are some, especially if you get to the Carolinas, um, there's a ton in North Carolina. Um, uh, and I really would love to do a trip through there and you get into Tennessee. I think also, like definitely not to get us off on this tangent, but I think that's a big reason why, ironically, connected to the Orioles, you hear a lot of talk about the Orioles moving, going to Nashville. Um, mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. It, it, it from a major league standpoint, it really would break up that uh, blockade, so to speak, that Atlanta has, that that stronghold that Atlanta has um on the South, because really uh, to your point, you have to go kind of you know, Houston has the Gulf. Um, St. Louis is is kind of more Midwest, I think. St. Louis and Kansas City are more Midwest than South. Um mm-hmm. so yeah, you really gotta you know, you really don't have anything um once you get past D C and you're not going out west to uh to the Gulf states. Everything else, you know, Kentucky, Tennessee, the Carolinas, all that is all Braves country. So, um, yeah I think I I think the powers that be at major league baseball wouldn't mind having another team in the south just to break that up um Mm -hmm. but hopefully it's not my beloved Orioles
1: (laughs) yeah the idea that um Camden Yards would be empty just sounds absolutely criminal um beautiful beautiful park and a park that people I know will show up to if there's a product worth watching there so uh we'll for sure be talking about the Orioles uh, a little bit later down this pod it's just nice to know that uh this time of year they're only a couple games back of 500 only four games out of the wild card 41 41
2: wins as of last night 41 wins
1: yeah yeah it's uh also really funny to know that they won you know we're recording Saturday morning Uh, it's a 5-4 win against the Angels where like Otani and Trout both had a home run and accounted for all of their RBI and just like absolutely went off. Mm-hmm. And it's the old tungsten arm joke uh, yet again. Um, but yeah, I I feel like Raleigh could see a team. Nashville could see a team and like we wouldn't be worse for it in any way. So um, rooting for you to have some more professional baseball in your vicinity uh, and everyone else really. So. Cool. Uh well, today is a special day uh in both of our podcast landscapes, as we kind of roughly alluded to. Uh I am by no means an MLB draft expert. Mm-hmm. Um I think that makes for kind of like a fun crossover combo where I get to step outside of my normal role well uh Matt is out uh for a couple weeks, and we get to bring you in to uh in kind of our parlance play my role uh which is really fun for me because I love to play stupid as often as I can uh not that Matt does (laughs) but in this case I really get to because I I I feel like uh, much of my understanding of the MLB draft um is just correcting my understanding of the NBA draft for baseball which is a much different sport so I feel like before we get too far we kind of have to just for the people who know about fantasy who know about the majors but don't quite get why everything seems so complicated lay out how things work so i have like a couple of my four dummies questions that i feel like we ought to get into before we get too far um the mechanics i think are the thing that kind of confused me at first um draft order i feel like is the easy thing there's no um lottery uh the I always feel like I had a hard time with Is just like how long the First round goes because I Know that there's not 30 first Round picks so can you like talk us Through like basically how Many picks teams get and why that Is and um, Why it seems like there's so many first Rounders
2: yeah so You're not I mean you're not too far off The mark um, as far As the number of picks in the first Round so you have 30 it will be Teams obviously each one generally speaking, would have a pick. Um, One thing, while we're on the sort of NBA-MLB comparison, uh, as of right now, there is no pick trading uh, uh, Mm -hmm. in MLB. That's something that they are uh, discussing. They were looking to get locked into this new CBA. didn't happen, but it's still, uh, I think, kind of being kicked around, um, being put back Mm in for the next negotiations. Um, So that's something that obviously the NBA draft does have, and we've seen it help and hurt uh, a lot of different franchises. Um, to get to your point about the length of the draft, you also have a uh, free agent draft compensation. So you have where our comp A and comp B picks that get added into um, the first couple of, of rounds. So that's why you might have somebody that technically got picked uh, in the first round, but it was pick number 33 instead of pick number mm-hmm. 30 because you have these compensation uh, draft picks that come from, When certain free agents that meet a particular uh, criteria, if they leave a team, then that team would get uh, a compensatory pick coming back to them.
1: And it's so does that pick like get taken from the team that signed the free agent?
2: Is that how that works or so? it's it's not it's not taken. Um, It's just kind of it's an additional it's additional draft pick. It's a way. So the the way it's kind of explained is, and this is actually coming from MLB. So I'm going to read the MLB definition uh, about this. The the quick definition. So if a team gives a qualifying offer to a player, so they have mm. a player, that player is a free agent. They offer that player a qualifying offer. That player declines that offer and signs elsewhere. The club that lost the player is eligible for draft pick compensation. So it's literally the MLB saying, hey. And this is all kind of in quotes because some of this is not in good faith, as we know, or we should know. But <laughs> they will be yep. saying, hey, you tried to sign this guy. He chose not to sign uh, with you. So instead of you just being completely out of luck, we're going to give you at least this draft pick. That's a very like dumbed down, stripped down version of this. And like I said, that's assuming right. a lot of good faith that's not actually out there. <laughs>
1: Yeah, yeah, I I feel like that's a a good also like conceptual lead into some of the other stuff that I feel like can be confusing. Mm -hmm. And just starting with the framework that teams are not doing things in the nicest and kindest way at all times is probably always a good starting point. Uh, No new ground for either of us, I'm sure. Uh, The next thing that always kind of like confuses me and... Viewing things through the Orioles lens that I have done in in the past couple of years has kind of aided this in some ways. But um, the fact that teams don't always sign the best player available and that some of the top talents might go pretty far down the first round or even at the beginning of the second round, seemed a little bit odd to me. So can you talk me through about why teams might yeah. choose to sign a lesser player higher up in the draft yeah. to kind of like a little bit of the mechanics of
2: that. Yeah, so like you said with the Orioles, me being an Orioles fan, this is a big sticking point amongst Orioles fans especially going into this year's draft. Um so you have uh sign of what's called signability concerns, right? And again, this is a difference uh between here and you this has happened in the NBA. Again, just if we're using that as kind of like the comparison, mm-hmm, It's mm-hmm. kind of happened in the NBA to an extent. Um, obviously not as frequently and not in the same ways. Uh, so, uh, and especially not now with the NBA essentially getting rid of high schoolers being able to be drafted. It, it's kind of really shut that down. Um, but signability concerns. If you have a player that is uh, coming out of high school, that is, or at least is high school age has not, uh committed to any sort of NCAA school and is eligible to play NCAA baseball, that player has some leverage to say, hey, I actually don't want to sign with that team or I don't want to sign for that amount of money that they're offering me. I'm actually going to go to college instead. And if he chooses to do so, he would need to remain in college for um, two years before being eligible to be drafted again. So you can say, hey, mm-hmm. you know what, I don't I, for whatever reason. And we're going to talk about somebody who may have some reasons, um, but uh, I'm going to go into college instead of signing with this team. I'll bet on myself in two years that I'm going to be able to make as much, if not even more money as a higher draft pick when I get mm-hmm. uh, added back to the new draft pool. So you have teams that might say, hey, we're drafting number three overall. And we have a guy that we think is going to be great. But we are concerned that the amount of money that he's going to ask for is so great as far as what we have in our pool of money, because all teams have a pool of money to sign all their draft picks. It's going to take such a large chunk of our pool that it's going to hurt us with us trying to draft some other guys. So we'll take a like to use your word, a lesser player that is more eager to sign for a lesser amount of money. At number three and that will save us money on the back end so now we have more money deeper into the draft that's something that the Orioles did in 2020 very kind of famously or infamously depending on how you look at it with uh, heston mm-hmm. Kerstad um taking him at number two surprised a lot of people the orioles proclaim and there's really no way to prove them right or wrong but they proclaim that if it had been a normal season um, obviously 2020 was pandemic season very shortened collegiate season But they claim, hey, if it was a regular season, we think Kerstad was the best college bat um, out, and he would have shown it in a regular full season, and we would have had no problems taking him number two anyways. Um, The fact that it was shortened, he was cheaper than some of the other options. Some people say the Orioles were just cheaping out. Um, It did allow them to sign some other players that are also proven to be quite valuable so far in their minor leagues, like Kobe Mayo. when yeah, they signed in the fourth <laughs> he's round. He's been he's been quite good. He was a high school pick. So there's a lot of thought that says, hey, if you didn't have the money to sign him, he would have been off the board um, and possibly going to college instead because you wouldn't have had enough money to sign him. So, uh, again, a lot of it has to assume some good faith with teams and teams don't always operate in good faith. So it's very hard to kind of decipher. Is that a smart move or is it a cheap move? Um, sometimes mm-hmm. it can be both. But they're not always one in the same. <laughs>
1: yeah. I can kind of wrap my head around that. Is like if you have the number two overall pick, that might give you the opportunity to uh, kind of almost trade with yourself down to roughly the number 10 overall pick and then get back the capacity to get some guys who might be some late firsts. And in a really uncertain environment, what's better, the best lottery ticket or more really good lottery tickets? And that
2: that's kind of that in of itself. That's the question. Um, that's the question that a lot of teams and a lot of these teams, the Orioles, um, the Diamondbacks, a lot of these teams that have been consistently picking high in the last few um, drafts. That's what their fans are kind of always discussing internally. That's what a lot of scouts and, and evaluators and analysts talk about is that kind of exact scenario. Is it best to have that one, hey, you could win a bajillion dollars if this one guy hits, or hey, you might be able to collect multiple millions if you have a bunch of these smaller tickets, um, which makes more sense. And I think the draft also can dictate it. The talent that you have in the draft can dictate that as well. So if you see that, hey, this draft is kind of weak on superstar talent, then I think absolutely it makes sense to save money. Why would I go out and try to spend a bunch of it on a guy that I'm not even confident is going to be a, you know, quote unquote stud. If I could just, you know, trade, essentially trade down to again, use your you know terminology and get somebody that's going to have just as high of a floor. Um, I think for me as an Orioles fan, the cursed that. Picking, obviously, Kirstead, um, for those that don't know, he had some health issues. He had uh, issue of uh, myocarditis, I believe, cardiac myocarditis. Uh, yeah, that um, sounds right. Yeah, that that uh, caused him to miss a year as well. And there was actually some concern about, like, would he be able to play baseball again? He finally made his debut. He's looked quite good, actually, uh, this year. So things are, are looking up for that pick. I think my issue with that was, as good as Kerstad may have been and might be still, there was just a lot of talent in that particular draft that I thought the orders really could have been going after. Um, and I just, again, the good faith or bad faith of were they cheaping out or were they being smart? This um, this front office with, uh, led by Mike Elias is still so new that we really don't know how they are going to go mm-hmm. about things. Are they going to be like cheapskates like some of our past front office people? Or are they really going to be as smart as they are heralded to be coming from the Astro system?
1: yeah I mean looking back even what they did last year um they took uh Colton Kowser fourth I think people consider that to be kind of like a repeat mm-hmm. which, or some people and then they got Gunnar Henderson with their first pick of the second round mm-hmm. and there's talk that he might be like
2: he's right up a, there. a top
1: 10 prospect yep, he's, he's pretty soon 10. so yeah. you you can read those tea leaves uh as you wish in a lot of ways yep. uh I feel like um, I also want to bring up the Orioles to kind of help explain another like final, especially if you've read Moneyball and you you think you're smart for having done that. Uh, <laughs> true or not. I remember I read it in college for a class and I thought it made me really smart for about 15 seconds. Um, I know some teams seem to have a proclivity to like draft certain archetypes of players, you know, believe that they're getting more bang for their buck if they're, for example, drafting college hitters which has been kind of the thing that seems like the most sure ticket at the top of the draft in the past couple hard to scout seasons Mm -hmm. is is there anything really we need to know about like differences between college hitters high school hitters college pitchers high school pitchers in terms of like how teams act or is it kind of just all mumbo jumbo and like choosing to believe something for believing something safe? well
2: it's kind of it's like most things is somewhere in the middle. uh, we didn't talk about this before we we started um, uh, another Baseball America um, article that they had. We were talking about some Baseball America stuff, but another article that they had was kind of looking over the years about how those archetypes have changed. Right? Uh, it used to be um, college pitchers, and then it was high school pitchers, and then it was kind. So it's mm-hmm. it's kind of always morphed again to to keep that NBA track. Um, um, or that NBA draft sort of parallel uh, together. Mm-hmm. Same thing that you've seen through the NBA draft, and we kind of talked about this off mic. Uh, it used to be if you were, you know, a college senior, uh, Naismith finalist, you know, been with the team all four years, started three of the four years, you're definitely going to be a lottery pick because you were just, a, you know, experienced, known winner, etc. And then in the past 20 some odd years, it was like, that guy could barely get drafted at all, right? You have to be projectable. You have to be mm-hmm. um, somebody that's much younger, has much less wear and tear of playing basketball. So, um, sports, team sports especially, um, and and I'm not as knowledgeable about the NFL, but I'm sure the NFL has gone through it as well. Um, all of these team sports, those archetypes always morph and change. I think what you're seeing now with college hitters, and you you spoke to the fact of the pandemic kind of abbreviating and shortening things. It just gives you I think it gives teams a comfortability that there is a floor that the uh, the variable outcomes that can happen, that failure, quote unquote, or that bust, quote unquote, to use those words Mm -hmm. is either less likely or it's less damaging. Right. So if a guy is a college bad and he's been there two, three years and we like what he's showing and we like the data that we're we're seeing from him, then, hey. If we draft him, um, worst case scenario is he still could be an org guy, right? We could still try to work. Right, right. Right. Um, if we draft this prep uh, bad, this guy who's 17, 18 years old and he's never even seen anywhere close to a professional fastball or professional, you know, breaking balls. And then we throw him in the mix and he can't hit at all. We're just it was almost like a waste, right? We can't do anything, right? That right. Person. I think that's the mentality, or some of the mentality with it. And I think some of it makes sense. I think that makes sense because also your development cycle changes. You can take, and we see this a lot a lot of college bats, you can probably be more aggressive in assigning them and saying, Hey, we're going to mm-hmm. throw you right into high A because that age group and that level of competition. Is still kind of in line with your age group and what you've been seeing, especially if you're coming from like a power five school in college. Right? Yeah. If you're coming out yeah, of, like the, some of these the SEC, SEC yeah. right. If you're coming yeah. out of the SEC <laughs> and you're going into high A, you're probably seeing about the same as far as if you're a hitter, the type of pitching that you've been experiencing and what you're going to see in high A. If you're um, 18 years old and you're coming out of, even if you're coming out of like a warm weather, known hotbed state like a Texas, like a Florida there's still going to be an adjustment and trying to put you in high A is probably going to be too aggressive we probably want you in the complex maybe at low A if we really want to get kind of spicy with things but that changes that development cycle too because that's some additional uh, possible years that it takes to get this guy ready um, to be valuable even to think about the major league level
1: okay I, I feel like that's a pretty good like explanation of like why you would care about a lot of those things and I, i'm very grateful for that as like a, uh, I want to just overlay this little bit of knowledge that i have about other things wherever i can and it, it makes a lot of sense then almost to like think of like the, the to draw a, a, an example that i hope is uh tangible for enough of our listeners like remember a couple years ago Jalen brunson out of villanova like won like their national player of the year Mm -hmm. great for them and did not get drafted terribly highly and then was just good for the dallas mavericks long enough to get himself a gigantic contract Mm -hmm. with the knicks this Mm -hmm. season it's like of course this was going to happen of course he was good sort of things that you know whenever like i last cared about college basketball like with a like like a real paying attention sort of view instead of just i watched the final four point of view or like thomas robinson for the kansas jayhawks mm-hmm. got drafted in like the top three at like 22 years old with no real like physical tools compared to like everything else and was a bust it's yeah. like yeah of course you're gonna have those biases lead to busts yeah. we'll see what the Next five years tells us about what we're stupid about currently, I'm sure
2: yeah Jalen Brunson is like that college bat guy that we're talking about, right it's just like oh mm-hmm. he's he's proven he's shown some things is he ever going to is is his ceiling ever going to be higher than what we're already seeing probably not he's probably pretty much a complete player right we we from Villanova you can kind of see him and I know we're we're mixing a lot of stuff so not to confuse people but you know when you have a college bat, especially if he's a guy and we're going to talk about a couple here. Um, who year after year they developed, they have gotten better by the time they get to that junior senior year. If they stuck around for the fourth year, a lot of teams probably feel like this guy is pretty much who he is. There's probably not a lot more variation to his game. If he's not hitting for power now, maybe we can tweak something in the swing. Maybe we can look at something in data that shows us how to you know have him develop some more backspin. But. He's probably not going to hit for much power now. If we're fine with it, mm-hmm. we're then we have kind of who we have. And then it's just a matter of stacking him against the best competition level by level and making sure that he proves it until he gets to the major league. Um, right, right. Versus, again, some other names that we'll talk about. This guy could be anything, right? He could be a complete stud. I mean, if you think about players that we have right now, um, it seems like Bobby Witt Jr., julio rodriguez like these guys were guarantees but they were not guarantees. there's definitely Mm -hmm. there's definitely a uh uh, in in the multi in the multiverse right we're 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 so we love the multiverse in our our pop culture in
1: in your out of the park safe you know yeah
2: there's definitely a version of bobby Wood jr where he gets drafted and he can't hit uh, a professional curveball once he gets into uh, double a triple a round right there's a version of julio rodriguez who is has the loudest twos possible but he can't put it all together consistently so um even though they're doing great now in our world right in our reality that doesn't mean that um those younger guys those prep ballers and we we're not even talking about international draft picks like julio rodriguez um that those guys don't have that high variance where there's they could be superstars or they could be guys that in five years time, you say, who is that? I, I don't even remember who that was.
1: Great. I, I don't think we can uh, let the listeners wait any longer to actually hear about some of these dudes. Right. Uh, who I have spent zero time at any point in the past two years uh, talking about on mic. Uh I would like to give you some flexibility to get us started here. There are some big names I think we have to hit. And I feel like that's probably just the most reasonable place to start because Beyond that, I feel like a lot of people aren't going to t- pay attention to the MLB draft outside of whoever their team gets, mm-hmm. and that's maybe like an unfortunate reality. A lot of this sounds pretty interesting, and once you like get plugged into how to pay attention to it, but let's start with the easy storylines. Who do we need to know about at the very top of the draft
2: board? Yeah, I mean, let's start number one with a bullet, um, and that's Drew Jones. And Drew Jones, if the name sounds familiar, it should. Uh, son of uh, Hall of Famer Andrew Jones. Uh, Of the Atlanta Braves and to me he seems to be closing in uh, you know we're about a week out Um, it seems like he's closing in on being the consensus number one pick doesn't mean that he will be chosen number one as we talked about but it does seem like uh, scouts evaluators are pretty much coming to a consensus that he is the best player in this draft Uh, the tools again if you know his father the tools are very similar Mm -hmm. Um, As far as what he can do on the field. Right. Can he field center field? He's an amazing center field um, uh, 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 defensively. He's amazing center fielder. Uh, I think he's also played some shortstops. He's athletic. Right. And that's another thing we didn't talk about with archetypes. But when you talk about high schoolers, which Drew Jones is right, prep ballers, Mm -hmm. typically you're looking at guys that are going to be playing shortstop, or center field, because just like in little league, they're your most at, most athletic players. If they can f- uh, play those positions well, you pretty much feel confident that you can stick them anywhere else on the diamond, and they're going to be okay. Um, Andrew mm-hmm. Jones fits that to a T. Can he hit for average? Absolutely. Um, He's shown very good plate skills, good discipline. He's shown mechanically to be very sound. Uh, quiet setup, which I'm biased to. I don't like guys. I tend to stray away. Let me say it that way. I personally tend to stray away from guys that are very noisy um, at the plate just because there's so much that goes on there. It all has to sync up every single time. And if they're off one bit, then they're missing pitches that they probably should hit. I like guys that are quiet. He's quiet at the plate just like his dad. He's explosive um, power and um, hitting for average. So this is a guy that brings that five, uh, five tool Five category um, sort of persona um, that we that we tend to hear about. He's a guy that kind of uh, illustrates that. So um, whether he's picked number one by the Orioles, if he goes to number two, which um, should I believe is the Diamondbacks. I should have looked at the draft order yep. beforehand. Um, but I believe there's the Dimebacks. I think if the, if he goes to Dimebacks, the Dimebacks are are tripping over themselves running up to the podium, right, to like put his name in right because if yeah. they can have right. if they can have an outfield in what 2026 2027 that's Corbin Carroll, Alex Thomas and Drew Jones coming up like Yes, they're like signing, signing God. us up right now. <laughs> <Very> disgusting. <laughs> you know, like, yeah, let's, absolutely. let's have it. Um, But he, he's not going, I, I I don't see a world where he goes past the first three picks. I just don't see what happens. He, something very bad. Let me put it that way. Something very bad, which we all hope doesn't happen, would have to happen for him to fall um beyond pick number three.
1: So if I'm like interpreting what we said earlier about like slot and stuff. A world where he's going two or three is probably one where he talks to the Orioles. They say, here's our number. He takes that number to the Diamondbacks or uh, I have enough mock drafts up in front of me that I should be able to figure out who's drafting third here. Oh, that's the Rangers. Mm. And the Rangers are like, yeah, we'll just give you all of our money. Yeah, I mean, Which I don't think is going to happen. Yeah. But like, that's probably what happens if he goes third. Yeah,
2: I mean, it's essentially like, yeah, the, the negotiations with the Orioles are like they are very adamant about what their number is, what their process is. He says, no, thank you the Diamondbacks, maybe they say, and I don't know why they would say this, but maybe they look and say, you know what, we went prep baller last year um, with Lawler. We have somebody else in mind. Um, This is our number, but it's probably not going to be much higher than the Orioles. Again, I'm not saying that will happen. I'm just trying to work out this particular particular scenario. And then he says, okay, cool. And the Rangers are like, hey, we got uh, um, Josh Young should be coming back from injury next year. He's essentially was going to be our starting third baseman. So we're like, we got there. We already committed money up the middle with Simeon and Seager. Uh Yeah, sure. Why not? Like, why would we let him fall e- even further? Um, if that throws off our plans on, you know, there's a guy we had targeted in the third round that we don't have money for now. We're OK with that. We'll take you Jones at number three, shut up and take our money and we'll keep it moving. So, yeah, it would have to be some sort of like very odd scenario for him to get to the Rangers and then sign. I guess there's always an outside possibility that he's very adamant about what his number is just in general. And if he's not seeing that um, in the first two picks, he's just not even going to negotiate. He's just going to say, Hey, I'm, I'm going to stick to my commitment, which I believe is Vanderbilt um, and just go to college. And I'll see you guys in, in you know, two years. Um, yeah. That's always a possibility. That's the, that's the bit of leverage that a guy like Drew Jones um, would have. Again, I don't see that happening, but it definitely could.
1: I think it's also worth noting we've seen just a ton of kids of former successful major leaguers have outstanding debuts mm-hmm. and like be good immediately. I have to imagine that combination of early access to excellent coaching yeah. and, and facilities. Yeah. And then also probably a good amount of you have the money available to say no leverage landing you with a good organization yep. are things that would help you to succeed immediately. So yeah. let's say he doesn't want to play for any of these three yes. teams because he thinks they're all awesome. Yeah. That is kind of quietly a piece of the go- of like leverage he has because yeah. he doesn't need the money, I'm
2: sure. Yeah, I, the the last – and I, I promise I'll try to make this the last basketball parallel um, – but – Years ago, uh, Yoakim Noah came out of Florida, and that was kind of the the conversation around him was they won a championship at Florida his junior year. And he was like, Mm -hmm. well, he's definitely going to be a top five draft pick. He's coming out. And he's like, no, I'm staying in college. I want to run it back. I like the guys. And everybody said, well, that's dumb. He's going to lose money because it's it's another year. What if he gets hurt? And then it's like, yeah, but his dad was a, a tennis pro. Like he's not hurting for money. He's okay." Like mm-hmm. and it's that sort of leverage, like you said. If you're a Vlad Jr., if you're Fernando Tatis, you know, if you're like you said, the the sons of uh, Major League stars and superstars, um, yeah, you're probably, you know, Cabrion Hayes, you're probably doing okay. I don't want to count other people's money, but I assume you're probably going to be, have been doing all right. Um, and also, it's the knowledge of how these negotiations go. So having mm-hmm. having somebody like Andrew Jones to talk about, like, hey. How did you negotiate your contract when you went and signed with the Rangers? Right. How did you negotiate your contract when you were talking to Atlanta as an 18 year old? Right. Because like you want to talk about somebody that knows about being young, being a superstar, almost from the get go. It would be Andrew Jones. Like he would know he would have some experience and some knowledge to give you. So being his son, um, not only do you have the bloodlines, not only do you have the access, like you said, to. Um, really good coaching and things of that nature, you have access to somebody who really has been through these negotiations and understand how front office um, people work, how they think and how they view you as a player and value or don't value you. So, yeah, that's that's really good knowledge to have uh, to leverage off of. All
1: right. I feel like just timing wise, we probably need to hit a quick break here shortly, but I do feel like that, Really helps us to like look at a couple of these other guys potentially through like a a helpful lens as well. I I know that they are not Drew Jones for a lot of other reasons, and I'm really curious to hear what you have to say about them. Uh, But we're going to take a real quick break. All right, and we're back. Let's hear really quickly about a couple of the other guys at the top end of the draft board that are worth knowing i I know there's much less certainty where they'll land relatively speaking and what kinds of players there'll all be. so who do you want to start with among the other consensus front half of the draft guys yeah
2: so i got a i got a, i got four names here um so I'm going to go with this. I'm going to finish up on the high school side with uh, talking about Tamar Johnson first. So let's mm-hmm. talk about Tamar Johnson. Tamar Johnson might be a name that some listeners may know and may be surprised, especially if they've heard the name, but haven't necessarily been following up on the draft process. Might be surprised to hear like, why is he not the number one overall pick? Cause when I heard his name, it seemed like everybody was in love with Tamar Johnson. Um, I think Tamar Johnson suffered and I use that word, word very loosely. I think you just suffered from overexposure, which happens with draft picks where you just guys guys that are out in front of the pack early on. So we were talking about Tamar Johnson like back in March as being potential number mm-hmm. one. Scouts, evaluators, they just dig into them over and over again. And after a while it's just like the, I kind of, it's almost you get tired of him, for lack of a better words. Like, I, I don't really know a better way to explain this. It. Just sound like, yeah, okay, we know, but like, there has to be somebody else. Um, I think also, uh, Drew Jones, his past season answered some questions that I think some people had enough that they wanted Drew Jones around that number one pick. They weren't sure. And him having a very, very successful 2022, um, uh, uh high school season helped cement them wanting to put him up in that number one overall, um, area. I think for Tamar Johnson, he still is seen as very outstanding. Um, a great hitter is what you're going to see. If you read any sort of scouting or any sort of evaluation is that he has some elite, um, hit tool ability as far as uh, the ability to not only drive the ball, but how he controls the bat through the zone, sprays the ball around the field, I will be honest and I'm gonna say something that might get me into some hot water with some people, but please do. I, I watch Tamar Johnson and mechanically, and I'm no I, I'm really no expert here, so just understand that. But mechanically as well as his body type, which I don't like talking about kids' body types, is kind of weird, but like <laughs> yeah. those two things give me some concern. He's a very stout guy already. Um it seems mm-hmm. like second base is where he's gonna go currently. And my thing is, if he continues to fill out, because, again, he's somebody who's 18 years old. If you think about when you were 18, think about when, you know, you'd be 25 oh, or 30. Very skinny. Yeah, <laughs> you know, so, you know, it, you continue I to am grow. not anymore. <laughs> there you go. So if you continue to grow, if he continues to fill out, then it's like, OK, where else can you move him? He does not have the range to play shortstop already. Um, he has decent arm strength, but probably not strong enough arm to be moved to third. So then, it's like, is this a guy who becomes a little positionless, or is like a left fielder, second base sort of hybrid type of guy? If that's the case, that hit tool really has to remain at has to be and remain at that elite level for him to really um, essentially pan out as far as the value for him to be a top ten draft pick, which I think he still will be drafted in the top ten. Mechanic, so that's the the body type piece that gives me a little bit of pause. Okay,
1: okay. mechanic. That also I should note. Makes a lot of sense when you're talking about the has to be a shortstop or center field guy to like to work
2: right and it's just like when you're not it, it to be clear when you're not it doesn't mean that it, you know you're you're terrible it just the i always look at it like this let me simplify this all the way down when i look at any sort of prospect wherever they're coming from i look at can they give me the biggest margin for error right Because Mm -hmm, as things get more difficult, right, you start at rookie ball, you go to low A, you keep going up levels, competition is going to get harder, right? Whether you're pitching or hitting, everything is going to get more difficult. Everything is going to get harder. Your rates and ratios are going to change. The, The negative things are going to increase. The positive things are probably going to decrease. If you give me the biggest margin for error up front, when those things start to narrow down, you still can be a good to possibly great player. If you start with very narrow margins, you have to walk a very, very fine line to keep that to be playable. And that, to me, is just like, I'd rather not. Now, I'm thinking this from a fantasy standpoint, to be fair. this is We're we're talking about real-life drafting versus fantasy. That's a little bit different. But that, to me, is give me the guy that has the most margin for error. Tamar Johnson, like I said, defensively, doesn't really have that. Offensively, again, the hit tool, every single scout, every single evaluator says elite. The one bugaboo that I have is I talked about noisy setups. I talked about a lot of movement. He has a little bit of this sort of back cock, um, back cock and wiggle that he has as he goes into um, his load and then uh, into his swing that I'm just not a huge fan of aesthetically. Maybe it's an aesthetic thing. It's obviously has seemed to work for him. Right. So it's far, you know, for me to tell him that he should change it. But I just look at it and say, okay, cool. Is this guy going to be like, um, Tony Gwynn esque, and, and and not to say he's going to be Tony Gwynn, like the actual player, but in that sort of caliber of he's spreading the ball around, he has great play discipline. So OBP is going to be very high, uh, but the power may not be incredibly high. You know, you're talking about a guy that might be 12 to 15 home runs. And again, just trying to put it all together. Second baseman, Who's hitting you 12 to 15 home runs, uh, then that means he has to really be getting on base, but he's not a burner, so he's not going to give you a lot of stolen bases. Mm-hmm. So, you know, he's just trying to fit figure out where he all fits in and what type of player he can be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I to me, I think all of that is the question of termar Johnson for me. I'm still very excited to see where he goes. I think, depending on the team that drafts him, um, it could be very interesting to see how they develop him if he lands, especially on the bottom side of that top 10, you know, number seven, number eight, I've seen him kind of float around there. Um, so that's Tamar Johnson. That's just kind of the, to put a button on, on that. I think that's why T- Tamar Johnson has dropped a little bit in some of these mock drafts. And those are some of the questions that I have about him.
1: Yeah. The the story you tell about him dropping sounds let's beat the uh, NBA draft comparisons to death. If we can <laughs> here. Uh, Yeah, like uh, Jaden Hardy was a guy who signed with the G League Ignite and got just a ton of like reps against basically like better than college player, uh, you know, like defenders and like was a go to scorer for this team and was a little bit inefficient and maybe at times just a tiny bit overmatched and saw himself drop to uh, the second round after being a consensus top five player prospect basically going into the season versus Shaden Sharp, another guy who's in that same sort of range, basically sat out for a year, like practiced with but did not play for Kentucky and didn't see his stock drop at all because just no one got any bad tape right. on him. Exactly. And exactly. It's really hard to say exactly. that one of them is actually better exactly. than the other.
2: Exactly. Right. It's like, well, this guy didn't play at all. And that actually leads us into, well, I- I'm gonna save him for last. But you know, you have one guy that's like, well we haven't seen him played at all. But it, it's sort of Schrodinger's cat. Like, you haven't seen him play at all, which means he could be really good or he could be really bad. He could be both at the same time. We don't know yet, <laughs> right, versus this guy who we have seen and we can pick apart every piece of his game over and over and over again. So, yeah. um, that's Tamar. Moving on real quick, uh, two college guys. These guys are probably um, neck and neck as far as being looked at as the best college bat. So, we talked about college bats early on. Mm-hmm. Um, that's Brooks Lee and Kevin Parada. It's probably you know six in one hand, half a dozen in the other. As far as who's the better hitter, um, from the college standpoint, Brooks Lee is a shortstop currently. Um, he played for his dad at Cal Poly, and mm-hmm. I think from what I've read, at least, it seems like he could stick at shortstop. It does seem likely that he ends up at third base, kind of as as the the main position for him at the major league level. Um, and then Kevin Parada is the uh, catcher for Georgia Tech as they continue their run of turning out catchers that are high draft picks. Um, this is their what third, third or fourth guy uh, in a row almost that they've had. Um, and and both of them just have tremendous skill set. Uh, not not only or not just from the power standpoint, but again the bat to ball skills for both of them are quite special. Uh, being able to use the whole field, having a very good approach of understanding. Uh, Pitch recognition and understanding exactly what pitch is theirs to go after and target um, as far as being able to drive. So I I think both of those guys, uh, Parada being a catcher, obviously the barrier to being a good major league catcher is a bit low and it's continued to kind of lower as we contemplate automatic strike zones. And um, you know, if they're going to change anything with the bases at the major league level, which they've already done at some of the minor league levels, you know, cer- certain things that we knew to be true about things that you needed from catchers at the major league level are starting to change. And now it's almost all starting to fall on. Can they hit and can they hit enough? And I think Kevin Perata definitely answers that question. So i will be curious to see what team um, picks him up. And Brooks Lee, like I said, shortstop, son of a coach. You we, always, you know, you always love son of a coach. Um, just like, you know, it's like the second best thing Uh, to be son of a ball player, right? It's like, oh, son of a coach. He's very knowledgeable, um, coach on the field, all that sort of stuff. Uh, but he, he definitely shows up. It's not just the intangibles, it's it's the tangible stuff too. Uh, so I, I could see him being anywhere from number five ish, maybe, maybe, uh, the other half of the um, top 10, I'd be surprised if he falls out of the top 10, just because he's hit so well, especially this past season at Cal Poly. Um, And then the name, the guy that I'm going to end this little summary with is Kumar Rocker. This is a name that even if you don't pay any attention to the MLB draft, you probably Mm -hmm. have heard. You probably do know he had a whole saga with the Mets being selected uh, by the Mets number 12 last year. Um, So there was already some surprise that he dropped out of the top 10 and then the Mets selected him and they couldn't come to an agreement. And he doesn't sign with the Mets. Uh, because the NCAA is a cartel, he's not able to play in the NCAA anymore because they deem him ineligible. So he was kind of in the baseball wilderness for a little bit. Um, There's spe- all spe- sort of speculation about why the Mets didn't um, or, or why he, they couldn't come to an agreement, why he didn't sign. A lot of speculation was about his medical information, what he, you know, how much of it he would release and what they learned from it, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, We have recently learned from his agent, from Kumar Rocker's agents, that he has had what was described as, quote unquote, minor uh, shoulder surgery. Take that with a grain of salt because it's coming from the agent. So (laughs) what else is he really going to say? But he has been playing uh, in the Frontier League with the Tri-City Valley Cats. Um, Frontier League. Beautiful team. Yeah, great, great (laughs) team. I had to make sure I got it because I had his Tri-Valley and I was like, no, it's Tri-City, Valley Cats. I got to make sure. And Valley Cats is one word, but two capitals. So I appreciate that. As somebody who has two capitals in my name, I appreciate the two <laughs> double capitals uh, in Valley Cats. So he's been playing for them. Um, and the first start was like highly anticipated, as you can imagine. And from what scouts and, and analysts, evaluators were saying, he looked quite good. The question was, Can he repeat it? That was one start. Can he do it again? And he's had uh, multiple starts so far. Velocity has remained in the high 90s, just like when he was at Vanderbilt. Uh, He was able to go multiple innings and multiple appearances. So, of course, any sort of time you have any sort of shoulder or any sort of arm concern, you want to see how does the stamina hold up. Looks like it's it's holding up so good, uh, so far so good. So I think the question becomes, when he gets selected, because he definitely will be drafted, and I think he will be drafted quite highly, uh, and we're going to talk about that in one second. What are the actual medicals, and what is he going to do? Because his leverage has kind of been used up, right? Like, is he mm-hmm. going to, I don't see him being like, "Oh, I'm not going to sign for that amount, so I'm going to play for try." Look, I messed it up again. Try city again for another season until i get the number that i'm looking for so his leverage is not as much as it was last season um at the same time though i i do see some teams still wanting to really really kick the tires and make sure medically the kumar rocker they're getting is as sound as can be so he's a very interesting name to watch where he goes who he goes to and then does he actually sign and how much he actually signs for
1: Yeah, I have to imagine in his case, again, this is all spitballing because I do not work for an agent and I do not work for a team, obviously, but I have to imagine round two, the Mets in like last year's iteration of the mets are not involved and, you know he could sign for someone who's dumb in theory like imagine a world i saw one mock draft where this happened where he goes to the rockies because they can never get their hands on decent pitching and they give him an aggressive assignment and a reasonable bonus because like why else would you want to go to the rockies and you know he's in their rotation like next year um that's not that insane to me for a path for him because then that gives him a pathway to like hit arbitration still in a reasonable timetable. That has to be at least a little bit of like a thing you'd care about. If you're a, a guy like him, who has to see himself as a potential like top tier ish front, like frontline ish MLB starter, or at least someone who's going to reach a second contract.
2: Yeah. I mean, you want to hit the MLB soon. Yeah. I think it, that's, that's a great point. I'm, I didn't even, my mind didn't even go there. So I thank you for bringing that up. That's a great point of thinking about, already trying to be into mlb player mode of how how this will impact my contract negotiations for getting the big money right um, not the rookie contract mm-hmm. but the next contract because that's what it's always about um I, I what i was thinking and this kind of bleeds into uh, our next topic is if you're um kumar rocker you got to be thinking i'm hands down the best pitcher in this draft Right. I was <laughs> I was arguably the best pitcher in last year's yeah. draft. And there's no reason to think yeah. I'm not the best pitcher in this year's draft. And I've actually done it now. Yes. Is it an unaffiliated um, Frontier League is, is unaffiliated ball? Yes, technically they are. But that's more so logistics than anything else, because the Valley Cats were a minor league team two years ago. So it's not like they're just, you know, th- this isn't a beer league. Right. Like, these are guys trying to break into um, major league baseball guys that were on that pathway. Um, so the competition that he's playing up against, it, they're not nobodies. So if you're rocker, you're thinking, I, I've shown you that I, I have answered your questions medically from his standpoint. He's probably thinking I've, I've answered your questions medically. I was arguably the best pitcher in last year's draft last year's draft class definitely is better than uh, pitching wise definitely is better than this year's draft class yeah, So We like, should get
1: into that as yeah. well yeah.
2: Um, And the reason why I'm saying all that And this leads into our next question Trends that you'll see in this year's class A lot of injured pitchers A lot of guys that were uh, Looked at And thought to be very high um, In their standing to go In this draft class that ended up uh, Being injured A lot of times season ending surgery um, Connor Prelip Peyton Pallet, Hunter Barco A lot of guys getting uh, Tommy John surgery or other sort of elbow and shoulder um, surgeries that shut down their season or in some cases they they didn't even start the the year at all. And that really diminished this year's pitching class from the college standpoint. Um, High school wise, again, the consensus has flipped. So high school pitchers aren't necessarily as highly sought out by many teams there are some te- teams that still love them some high school pitching um but a lot of teams have kind of been turned off in them just because again that development cycle and the variance of high school pitching you have to be very 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 good um in a lot of teams eyes to um, be a value to them as like a first round draft pick uh coming out of high school so this year's overall pitching class is really seen to uh have taken a nosedive you're going to probably see a lot more hitters taken than what you would have had we had healthier <laughs> guys and i think that's even more reason just to put a button on the kumar rocker thing i think that's even more reason why um he's probably in my opinion he's probably going to be the first pitcher off the board wherever he goes and i think um he's going to use that to his advantage as me- as best as he probably can
1: Mm-hmm. yeah i i like doubling down on all of these potential hypothetical concerns uh, i remember a, a name that popped up onto my radar a few uh months ago was i make sure i get the, the first name right here uh dylan lesko who is like I, and tell me where i'm wrong here like a potential top five pick as a high school pitcher who then got tommy john in, in april and might still go in the like the mid first round right and, and I, that seems like all of the risk. Yeah, and yeah Yeah,
2: and I think for Lesko, it's a matter of um, because he got Tommy John so early that the um, the rehab cycle he's already in the midst of. So versus a guy who may have just now, uh, I shouldn't say just now, because the college season is over. But um, maybe a guy who got Tommy John or any sort of surgery later on in you know late May and June, and now you're talking about getting drafted he's a couple more months behind in that rehab process, getting that uh, done in, in a March or in April, where it's just, it's a known thing. Hey, this is, this is done. You got the surgery. You're already rehabbing. I could definitely see teams looking at, uh, let's go than, You know, we're okay with taking that risk because we already will know where he is in the process and know how to slot him in um, uh, medically with our team and our trainers, et cetera. Uh, and, then be able to you know once he comes back in 2023 then we'll be able to kind of take it from there and it's almost like we got um a a free ad so to speak to use kind of fantasy parlance right you got kind of a free ad of a player um because you're getting Mm -hmm. in 2023 uh uh, essentially a top 10 type of draft pick without having to use up a draft pick
1: yeah i'm curious in your mind like what sorts of teams are more likely to pursue those sorts of players on one hand, I can imagine the like sort of aggressive because they're already good, they've got the money, so you may as well swing for the fences sorts of teams might be interested in these guys. But on the other hand, like I can imagine the absolutely need something to break right to get out of the middle sorts of teams might see it so like i'm curious is like is it just everybody or that depends on the gm yeah like,
2: I, I would say it depends on the gm and i'll be honest i'm still learning a lot about and I, that's another reason why i really want to pay attention to this year jack because i'm still learning a lot about um front office and and their player profiles and development um uh, philosophies and things of that nature especially when it comes to pitching because that is so so much more kind of it, it, art and science combined um and it varies so much so uh i i, I wish i was more of an expert to really peg a, a couple of teams to him what i will say though is um that last sort of group that you described that that sort of sticky middle that we're not terrible we're not tanking but we can't ever really seem to get for momentum to be actual contenders that could be a team that I could see taking a flyer and just saying you know what they're they're not picking top 10 so from a money standpoint you're not committing a ton of money to him um he is a high school so we talked about signability but you have the leverage mm-hmm. of hey you were injured this might be the best money that you get now you're hoping that you rehab and go to college and have just a good year where you could just be a professional baseball player If you take this deal now, Um, so you could kind of use that injury as leverage against them. I could see a team that is picking number and I don't again, I don't have a draft in front of me. So a team that's picking number 14, a team that's picking number 16, maybe, you know, saying, yeah, we'll take the flyer on this guy. Maybe be able to actually save some money because we can use that injury piece against them to to get the uh, signing costs down. And then we still feel good about getting some high, uh, high floor guys on the back end, second and third round so that we're not sinking up all of the value into just this one injured high schooler.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I can also imagine some teams that maybe then have some of those comp round picks mm-hmm. uh, who have a couple early shots mm-hmm. might be especially interested if I'm just kind of putting the pieces together. I I see very much, though, why it seems like it's a puzzle where there's a whole lot of hidden motivations and, uh, you know, there's a game beyond the game to pay attention to. So, you know, we got a week or so until the draft. There's a lot of stuff that we will learn, but it seems like a lot worth learning. Um, We've hit a lot of the big names here. Uh, The people that I feel like are going to be going maybe at the top of the uh, first year player draft boards, you know, the essentials you want to get weird and talk about some of your like pet favorites among like the late first guys or whoever else you want to, you know, highlight
2: here. If, if you listen to on the farm, you know, I love getting weird. Um, so I have no problem with, with getting a little bit deeper. Uh, I don't want to get like overly esoteric with, with guys. Cause uh, again, I'm still kind of doing my knowledge as well. So I have some guys on here that I can probably, uh, put to the side. Um, one Actually, I, I will throw out one name that I'm still trying to learn about, and that's uh, Cade Horton. And Cade Horton has, thanks to the College World Series, really seen his stock rise. We were talking about best pitchers in this uh, draft and how Kumar Harker probably is thinking, that's me, hands down. I will say Cade Horton has really um, been able to leverage this his own personal success, again, in the College World Series, Uh, which, uh, again, just like if we stick with basketball, just like with the NCAA tournament, you know, it's all the eyeballs are on you. It's the highest competition um, overall. So that really helps. But also that match with all of these injured guys that haven't been able to perform. Um, So I'd be curious to see exactly how much helium he has. Does he get to crack into um, top 15 draft pick now where he wasn't being considered that two months ago? So that's just one quick name, Cade Horton, um, to throw out there. He was uh, Oklahoma, right? Uh, that sounds right. I should have that. In front.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm not allowed to cheer for anyone who went to the University of Oklahoma oh. or uh, who associates themselves with that place. <laughs> um, and it is deeply disappointing Bad to know days. that uh, the underdog Texas Longhorns did not win uh, the College World Series this year. But. Um, uh best best of luck to uh kate horton i i read just a tiny bit about him actually uh you're getting esoteric here but like i'm sure the weird heads everywhere are kind of like this is a fun storyline didn't he like miss the year before this so he just like basically doesn't have a track record and that's why he's popping up
2: yeah i mean i'm 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 grabbing just just searching right now and um yeah former two-sport athlete um so, yeah. yeah, yeah, love again, athleticism, you, you, you love that out of, any, um, out of any player that you're drafting. So, um, yeah, he was just a guy, like I said, I'm still learning. I'll be completely honest. I don't know a ton about him. Oh, yeah, he yeah, popped yeah. up onto my radar um, just as Oklahoma was making their run through uh, the World Series. And um, now people are like, hey, you know, he's really probably made himself a, a good little chunk of money based on how well he was pitching. So I'm just I'm curious to learn and hear more about him. Um, but some guys that I actually, uh, was doing some more actual digging into, um, this guy, I'm actually, I was doing some, some last minute sort of like writing some bullet points about him today in in preparation for the pod. And he might've sold me on like liking him from a fancy standpoint. That's Cam Collier, uh, Cam Collier, I believe this is accurate to say is the youngest, uh, potential draftee in this draft at 17 years old. He actually mm. graduated high school early with his GED and enrolled in, uh, Juco College so he could reclassify into this, uh, year's draft. Um, but this is a guy who has incredibly quick hands. Uh, again, quiet setup. Uh, that's my personal thing. Again, the aesthetics, that's just me. But, He's somebody who has really good um, has a really good hit tool, and he looks to be somebody who profiles as hit tool first, then power. So what that means, just to kind of break that down, is there are players who show the ability and, and it's everything that goes into hit tool: pitch recognition, approach, um, actual mechanics of their swing, their ability to keep the bat in the uh, the bat barrel in the zone for a longer period of time all those things to develop into being a very good hitter first. And then as they both fill out, so they add more strength and they also just get more experience as they get older. That's when the power comes because then they can really Mm -hmm. start to pick out pitches that they can drive and get that backspin on um, to hit for home runs. And he looks like he could fit into that mold and really be an impact back. Obviously he's super young. So again, that variance, it can go all over the place, especially when you look at the um, experience, uh, playing at a juco not necessarily the same as playing at a power five um d1 school however he has played some in the cape cod league uh, which is summer league for um, draft eligible players um to play in and he seems to have shown himself to uh, uh, quite well and that's going to be mm-hmm. you know some higher competition in that standpoint so this is a guy uh defensively looks like he'll be at third i think there's some question about he could get moved into uh, a corner spot again as he fills out. Um, if he gets a, a little bit thick uh, around the middle, he, he he could go to a corner spot. Uh, another two-way player, so he's a guy that pitched, has a, has a very live arm. So I think that's the reason why defensively at third. Third base, yeah. yeah. He, he seems to be good there. So Cam Collier, uh, I've seen draft mocks that have him quite high. I've seen him where he's more uh in the teens. So I think he can kind of go all over the pla- uh, all over the map, mm-hmm. excuse me, but that's a guy that I'm looking at and again, I'm thinking about this from a fantasy standpoint, but I'm just very interested to see uh who takes him, where he goes and uh again, just what that development looks like. Is he somebody that's going to take quite a long period of time or is he somebody that gets, you know, a little bit fast tracked? and shows up to be kind of a a good value. I think about a guy, he he was a bit older, but I think about a guy like Evan Carter being quite young, getting drafted in the second round, I believe by the Rangers in the 2020 draft as a high schooler. And I mean, he's in, he's in high A right now and he's looking like he should finish up this year in double a easily. Like he's Mm -hmm. right on the cusp and he's flying through the competition just because his skills are very, very good. Um, not saying it's a one-to-one comparison, but you do have those guys that are young, but they show up very well and the level of competition almost doesn't really mean anything to them. So Cam Collier is a name that I'm watching there.
1: You lead into something that I think is a curiosity for me. You know, I we named a lot of guys here. They make a good number of different kind of like cases for like what sorts of guys you might be interested in, how they might fit, and why you would or wouldn't believe in them. But also like, we haven't seen them match up necessarily against top end talent all of them and it's It's hard to understand exactly how valuable a first round pick is and what we should expect out of them. So let's take a quick look back at last year's draft and uh, talk about any guys there that, you know, you feel like really teach us anything important or besides Kumar rocker, of course, <laughs> uh, in terms of like how quickly we can like change our mind on a player. Is there anyone from last year's draft that like really stick out, sticks out for you in that sort of way?
2: I'll be honest, like 2020 and 2021 are blending together. So I'll, I'll, I don't oh. want to trust myself yep. to name a name and people be like, idiot, that was <laughs> 2020 instead of 2021. Oh, no.
1: By all means, though, reach back twice if you need to. Past couple years, all do blend together. That's a, that's a totally fine point.
2: Uh, let, me, let me see here. Uh, some guys that I think from a positive standpoint let's start there right from a positive standpoint mm-hmm. uh I think when you look at the that top 10 and again we'll top nine because we'll subtract uh, kumar rocker out of out of that mix but when you look at um you know jack lighter I, I I'll start with him right other the other pitcher out of Vanderbilt right the other guy that was kind of vying with kumar rocker as who's the best pitcher in in the 2021 draft I think with Leiter... Um, you know, he's, he's been kind of everything that Texas wanted him to be, uh, he's at double a now, uh, now he's, he's kind of running into some, some of his first real obstacles, which is good. That's a big part of the development cycle is like, yes, you, you love to see guys ideally just like fly through, have success, hit the majors and like be superstars. Like that's ideal. That doesn't happen for a reason. I like to see guys have a run of especially in the upper minors double AA, a triple a run into some adversity right run into some oh mm-hmm. these, these guys are really good hitters if i'm a pitcher these guys are really good pitchers if i'm and defenders if i'm a, a hitter right the, the balls that were um up the middle and easy base hits for me when i was in low a oh they have short stops that can actually get to that ball and throw me out OK, that's different. Right. Like um, right, That right, sort right. of adjustment and then being able to make the adjustment on the adjustment, as they say. Right. OK, these these guys are good, but I can do these other things that um, can show up very well. So uh, I think Jack Leiter is in that mix right now for Texas. And so I think that they should be feeling very happy about their their draft pick. Jordan Lawler is doing an excellent job. They uh, just promoted him to high A. Um, for,
1: he was sixth last year for the Diamondbacks
2: Right, So for the Diamondbacks they just promoted him And he's been looking like everything That they wanted out of uh, a Shortstop and I think Lawler Actually has a very interesting um, Team dynamic and I Know we didn't talk about team dy- dynamics Too much but uh, Gerardo Perdomo is kind of The young shortstop ahead of him and I Don't think that that's going to be For much longer like I, I don't think Perdomo is is a long term assault. Yeah, stop, yeah. Right. Like he's just I remember he got
1: promoted and it was just like, cool, this is a guy who's on the Diamondbacks roster. And if he gets better, then he's a guy who's on the Diamondbacks roster when yeah. you're good as a bench batter, or as a utility guy. Yeah,
2: and I think um his he was more glove first. Uh he did not hit very well. for Domo that is did not hit very well in his first stint. They sent him down. He made some adjustments. He he hit a little bit better, but I still don't think you're gonna see the dynamic bat um, out of him versus how good of a defensive player he is. So Lawler has some space, right? If he continues to develop at this um, pace that he's at where in a, another couple of years, that that shortstop position could very well be his, right? There, there's not a whole lot blocking him um, from from right, that being right. the case. So um, so those are some of the guys that I think of uh, from the, the 2021 standpoint that teams looking back just a year later – um, should be you know still quite happy about like hey you know we, we we're doing all right um if we think about guys that maybe the, a team wants another buy of the apple and again this is it's a, it's only a year out so like it's it's, it's always hard right. to think about um uh i you know i don't know that there's necessarily first round guys that's the other thing there there might be guys that yeah get deeper into the draft but let's see here i'm, I'm pulling up uh, I'm pulling up things here. So, got Lawler. I, okay, so this might be, and I'm sorry, Kansas City, I'm sorry to be picking on y'all. But Frank Mazzucato, he's not terrible. So I, I'm not saying that. But my concern is, like, Kansas City had this, like, bushel of young pitching talent that they were supposed to be developing, and it hasn't really worked to plan as of yet. Mm-hmm. And so that just makes me a little more concerned about Mazzucato They're, I mean they do have some good things like Brady Singer it looks like he's kind of starting To click into place now um, It just mm-hmm. took him a little bit longer uh, But you know Jackson Kowar still hasn't really figured it out Daniel Lynch is still mm-hmm. very up and down um, They have So you have Mazzucato you have uh, Ben Kurtna uh, And I might not be pronouncing that Last name correctly but you have Ben Kurna. You have some other guys that they have in the lower minors That now just because of what we've seen before it makes me hesitant um i will say this i've had these discussions with other people that are into prospecting that disagree with me having that perspective they're very much like hey just because um you know previous iterations or previous players have not worked out that's not an indicator uh that this particular player will follow the same fate which i think is is accurate um, it just for me, I'm risk averse. And again, I'm seeing this through a right. fancy lens. So if I'm like, well, the first three pitchers that you guys drafted, you haven't figured out what makes this guy number the, the fourth pitcher so special that he's going to get, you know, he's going to click where these other guys haven't. It could happen. I'm just not the person to bank on it. So uh, Mazzucato is one. Uh, I talked about Benny Montgomery on my uh, stock up, stock down for the NL West uh, last week um, on yeah, the yeah. farm. And I just, I've never been a Benny Montgomery fan. He has gotten a little bit warmer in the last week um, as far as his production. But, um, and even, even keeping the Rockies team context out of it, I, I you know, he, he, he doesn't move me uh, to, to say things. Um, somebody real quick, to, I'm bouncing back and forth, but real quick, somebody that I think uh, is really good uh, value that they got was the Phillies getting Andrew Painter at number 30.
1: Yeah, I, I was just about to bring <laughs> him up. He's, he uh... he's
2: looked outstanding, and he—I don't—I don't even know if people thought that he was going to look. I mean, right now, if you look at the pictures that were taken in the first round, uh, and that includes Jack Leiter, who again, he's at Double A, he's looking very well. I think you could make a case that Painter right now is the best out of this bunch. Right. You have Gavin Wilson is I mean Gavin Williams is good. Wicks is good. Um I'm literally just looking at names. Bruns, all these guys are yeah. good, but I think like you it, it really is like Painter and um and lighter. And I would give it to Painter right now.
1: Yeah, just for some context for those of y'all who aren't like looking at the same thing that we are. <laughs> so Mazzucato is like a a young for high school 6'3 lefty that went seventh overall and considerably under slot um, for the same amount of uh, signing bonus. He got like three and a half million for the seventh pick. Um, I should note that Painter got three nine for the thirteenth pick, and then Gavin Williams got two point two five at the twenty third pick. Mm-hmm. There were some people like nlb pipeline or whoever i guess i'm using their ranks here just for like a quick like take a look at this because it's interesting they had both williams and painter um considerably ahead of Mazacado so you, you had to think that they really thought they had something and that they were getting you know like that extra money saved yeah. so that,
2: there's definitely some
1: we think we're galaxy yeah right and that
2: fits into what you, your point was earlier um alex about are there certain front offices that have certain types Right. Because if you look back through what Kansas City has been drafting in the first couple of rounds of the last few drafts, tall, um, you know, projectable, not always lefty. uh, Lynch is left handed, obviously, uh, along with Mazzucato, but tall, projectable pitchers, um, mostly out of high school. Um, A couple of them, I think, were college, but like not a lot of bats outside. Obviously, you have Bobby Wood Jr. That was more of like a no brainer, but. They do seem to be following a certain standard, a certain type. We know the Angels, the Angels drafted Sam Backman. They drafted, they tried to draft pretty much every pitcher that existed Um, last year. Like the amount of pitching that the Angels drafted, literally that's the type that you were indicating uh, earlier about like something has to stick. The Angels have always struggled to have good pitching. And it literally looked like last year they were finally just saying the quiet part loud of we are terrible at having pitchers, so we're just going to draft nothing but pitchers, and one of these guys has to be good enough. <laughs> so, and we're you know we're waiting to see Bachman's looked okay. Um, they have another guy Brett Carey who who's had a pretty good um, 2020 season, uh, but nobody that's necessarily standing out like a Andrew Painter is. So, you know, uh, the Angels that that's another team that could be that middle pack. Maybe there's somebody that takes a chance on Lesco, right? That says, right. hey, we were going to keep going with that pitching until we get it right. Um so yeah, that that it's very interesting to look back. Again, it's only one year. Um a lot of these guys uh you know just looking through the names outside of Lighter and I think that might uh, Lighter and Freelick who South Freelick who uh, came out of Boston College, so another college back. Most of these guys are not even in A yet. Uh, most of them are still in the mm-hmm. lower minors. So, I mean, yeah, you're, you're still talking about people that are quite young. Um, a lot left as far as uh, their their uh, projection ability for talent along with how they're growing. Um, but, yeah, th- you're already seeing some of these guys are looking like really good value and some of them y- you start to wonder, like, oh, you know, that doesn't mean they're bad, but if they could redraft today, their team is probably picking somebody else.
1: Yeah, I think a I think it's that's not unreasonable. And to like put that even like further into context, I think a final exercise we do here before we log off and uh you know, fester for the next week about who's gonna get drafted and where. I wanted to go back five years, uh, just to kind of like give people a window into things. We won't spend too long here and take a look at the first round of the 2017 major league draft nothing scientific i'm doing here i literally just have the wikipedia page open for the 2017 major league draft and obviously we've watched enough of these guys to know who we're talking about i encourage you if you're at home and not currently operating a motor vehicle on the interstate um to swipe through a couple of these drafts on your own it's kind of fun to check out how well a lot of these prospects have actually panned out um the top 10 this year uh first overall was royce lewis second was hunter green Third, Mackenzie Gore. Fourth, Brendan McKay. Fifth is Kyle Wright. Sixth is Austin Beck. If you don't know who that is, that's for good reason. He has not done anything in the minors. Seventh is Paven Smith. Uh, eighth is Adam Hazley. Ninth is Keston Hira. And 10th is Joe Adele. All of those picks, aside from the sixth, Austin Beck, who is not an underslock pick, I should note, they they paid $5 signing bonus five years ago. He was supposed to be something and he wasn't. Have. You know, like had their moment in the major leagues as like a, a top end prospect that we were excited about. Those guys, for the most part, didn't flame up before the majors. And, and like Brendan McKay's had some definitely injury related struggles that have kept him from axis everything. Kesson here has been up and down. Adam hazley has been a Phillies prospect. So, you know, whatever. <laughs> there's been a definitive moment for like most of these guys where something has clicked. You go further down the list and there's a lot of other names in the first round that are are really something. Uh, Shane Baz, uh, 12th, Trevor Rogers, uh, was 13th in this draft, DL Hall, who should be up soon and looks like he could be something was the 21st pick. Helio Ramos for the giants was the 19th pick. Um, Tanner Houck was the 24th in this pick in this draft. There are a couple other names who, Either like haven't quite made it or, you know, hasn't been something like David Peterson was in the first round for this draft for the Mets. He's been kind of mid, but it's something. Um, Alex Fado for the Tigers, who had a really good debut this year is in this draft. And then Evan White for the Seattle Mariners, mm-hmm. who has a lot of money in the bank to not play it baseball does. for the most part. It was the 17th pick. Yeah. So. Take a pick of a year. I, I know the 2011 draft is a really fun one. Also, if you want to take a look a little more than 10 years back now, a lot of talent in that one. I remember the Ringer MLB show. I think it was either them or um, I think it might have been Baseball Barbecue on the Ringer MLB feed, which they're both. Gone, so I can tell you to go listen to them because there's neither of our competition. (laughs) Big sad there. I don't know if you're ever a baseball barbecue podcast listener, but that was one of my faves. They took a look back at that draft last year around this time, and it was really fun to see just how many of those dudes have fully panned
2: out. I'm I'm going to shamelessly shamelessly plug uh, On The Farm old episode. If you go to episode 28 and 29, we did a 2018 draft retrospective. Mm. Um, So we talked about... Guys like Casey Mize, um, Joey Bart, Alec Baum. I'm literally going down the list of Nick Madrigal, um, Jonathan India, rookie of the year. So, uh, and, and somebody you may have heard of, uh, a guy by the name of Jared Kellenick. I don't know if you have, have heard anything about things that have gone on with him the last couple of years. But like, uh, like you're saying, I was like, if you go back those four plus years, four, five, and then definitely if you're talking about like 10 years, I think. If you go back into like 10 years, it's really interesting to see the sh- what it, what you were talking about, the shift of thinking, because you can really see it in, in mm-hmm. who got drafted. Right. You can see the shift of thinking. Um, but even if you just go back to four or five years um, and see how many of those guys are have made their debuts, um, what they've looked like, how many of those guys have shifted, if anybody's gotten traded um, and how many of those guys are who we thought they were to use the quote, like they are who we thought they were. Like how many of them are that who we thought they were and how many of them are like, Oh, there was something else in the game or they were lacking something that we thought they had in their game. Now that they're actually at the major league level. Um, again, I'm always looking through fantasy lens and I have to emphasize that because fantasy and real life, uh, are, are different, not, the same, not thing. the same thing. As we should know, if we're like, older than five years old, Drew
1: Jones <laughs> is going to go first. If he goes first, in large part because of defensive stats that will never help our fantasy right. teams, but will keep him in the lineup. Right. So maybe that is a
2: help. Right. right. So, um, so, so I always like to put that out there. But even from a, a real life standpoint, it's super informative to take a look, and especially if you have a favorite team, um to look back over the past couple of years, so you can see what their front office really prioritizes. And if you see that shift, uh, because, again, to wrap up with the Orioles, we started with the Orioles, to finish with the Orioles, um, you know, Mike Elias, this is his fourth, fifth year um, as the GM. So the Dan Duquette years, all those guys are pretty much run through the system, right? Like we've either mm-hmm. traded them out, got them up, like they, they're moving on. So all the guys that are in the minors now, uh, whether they're of value or not, pretty much all now Elias guys. And now we get to see, OK, are these uh, is Elias and company really the brain trust that we got sold on when they came from Houston of like, well, Houston did it. So now they're going to do the same thing to the Orioles, um, to the Orioles. Or um, are there going to be some some very high profile misses so far? So good. Right. least has come up. Both good. Uh, rod was prepared to come up. Obviously got injured. We, we just heard back that um, Scans came back clean on on his lat strain. So he's he's mm-hmm. right there on the cusp of coming up. So, so far, so good. Uh, D.L. Hall, like you mentioned, he's looking really good. So, so far, so good. But um, is it going to continue? And this year is going to be very interesting to see. Are they going to continue to go under, uh, under slot? Are they going to leave Drew Jones on the table to go for a college bat that's going to be a lot cheaper? And then what does that do on the back end? Like who are they going to pick up to 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 sell on to sell the fans on the fact that it was worth not picking Drew Jones because we got this guy in the third round? Um, we'll see. We'll see what happens.
1: Yeah, the uh, Orioles do have uh the thirty third pick, mm. supplemental pick, and then they'll have like the very first of the second round mm. as well. So they'll have some options, mm. but
2: Man, um, I, I, I the, would love I would yeah. love if they established uh pick trading. If they if they can get and, that done, yeah, I think uh it would be fantastic to see. Cause I think there are gonna be some teams that will completely uh crash and burn their franchises by making them very Oh very yeah, young. speed run the stuffy end rule. Uh
1: <laughs> <laughs> see how fast we can get there. Um my like hypothetical like pet peeve thing that I'm so prepared to be annoyed about mm. is when the Orioles do inevitably actually draft Drew Jones, mm. him being a right-handed bat. You know, in New Camden Yards, he's going to hit like three home runs at home ever in his career. That's going to be really fun. Um, well, the thing is, though, they'll need his outfield defense to cover uh, left center field, if you will.
2: Yeah. I mean, so, so I was on the, so this is something that I was very wrong about. Uh, they, they moved the fences in left field. And at first, I was like, ah, I shouldn't make that big of a difference. And then there was, writing that was coming out. They were saying, oh, I was
1: apoplectic. Yeah, there was the
2: writing that was coming out immediately being like, look at these home runs. Look at uh, Ryan Mountcastle's home runs. Look at how many home runs he wouldn't have if, if, you know, if left field was like this. And I will say like, yes, it has changed the environment. Um, Mike Trout hit a home run last night and it and they were saying on, it was Matt Vasgersian doing the LA Angels broadcast. And he was saying he hit it to the one part of left field. That's still a short porch. <laughs> oh, Cause it literally was like right down the left field line. <laughs> Around the foul pole, um, but the trade off is if that means that Adley hits thirty five home runs, then I think we're okay with it because he's going the yeah, right he's can. going to Utah Street, so like it's okay. Like we yep. didn't, you know, it, it's a trade off. And also, if that means that Gray Rudd uh, can, can Gray Rudd and Dio Hall and Kyle Bradish and and all those guys, if that means that they're giving up uh you know twenty percent less home runs, I think we're okay with
1: that. Oh it might be more than that. Right. By my math, uh, it's something like half as many uh yeah. to that like third of the field. I think we're okay. Um we can talk about the Orioles indefinitely. <laughs> I can't wait to do it again eventually. Uh and uh, this has been great. So you want to tell us really quickly where we can find you online and wherever else? Yeah,
2: absolutely. As always, you can find me uh, on Twitter at InsideFastball, capital I, capital F. Uh, You can find me hosting uh, On the Farm, which is typically uh, a weekly podcast that is up on Mondays. uh, And that's on the Pitcherless Podcast Network, of course. Um, I have a free newsletter that I make, uh, on a monthly basis that you can sign up for that is, uh, at inside fastball newsletter. You can find it on my Twitter page. Uh, you can tweet at me. You can email me if you wanted to. That's, uh, inside fastball newsletter at gmail.com. If you want to send me an email for some reason. Uh, and yeah, you know, and I'm on the discord, I'm on the, uh, picture list server too. So you can find me there. Uh, I think that's, oh, Reddit. I'm trying to be more active on, on Reddit, on uh, Scott Shoes AMAs that he has on Friday. So you'll see me lurking in there uh, on the AMAs as well.
1: Nice. That is uh, a ton of places (laughs) to (laughs) be. Yeah. Um, It's a good thing that you've got plenty to say and plenty worth listening to. (laughs) Thank you. So this has to be one of our longest pods in recent memory, and it's been uh, nothing but a joy. Uh, Can't wait to catch up with you soon. And uh, yeah, that'll be it for uh, this episode of uh, Dugout Study Hall. Thanks for having me. You can find me on Twitter at Chase underscore Rate. And you can find our missing host Matt Goodwin there at the Corked Matt. You can also find our pod there at Dugout Study Hall, where you can send us questions. Our DMs are open. Please sure to subscribe to both the Pitcherless Fantasy Baseball feed, where you can find us, as well as the Pitcherless Baseball podcast feed leave us a good review if you feel so kind and if you haven't already consider becoming a pl plus member so you can harass us in discord thanks for listening and you can catch both matt and myself next time